A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? I am well. I've just had my first mince pie ready for Christmas. Mm -mm -mm. That was lovely. And the coffee is flowing. So I think it's going to be a good day. I think we're all right. It wasn't quite a good day earlier this morning. Um, walking the dog. Someone is driving very slowly around. Fortunately, kept their distance, but they inquired if I was from the area. Well, I had to say yes, because... Yes, I am from this area, but then they proceeded to give me the most complicated address that I had never heard of before and expected me to be able to tell them the location. And that was after or their sat-nav not working, not being able to find it, their Google Maps not being able to find it. I mean, yes, I'm from the area. I need to have a better follow-up. Are you from the area? Yes, but please don't ask me any technical geography questions please. Anyway, there we go. Uh, I presume they're still driving around asking people if they're from the area and not finding the address. I don't think it exists, this address. I'm not going to give you the address, uh, obviously, just in case it does exist. But there you go. Who knows? Another day in the life of Philippa. Now, we've got some brilliant, brilliant books to talk to you about today. Well, OK, let's say we've got some brilliant books to talk to you about. And one I'm not so sure about, but let's see what we think. We've got a great listener's question and I've got a couple of podcasts to talk to you about as well. As you're listening to this one, there might be some others. You may have heard of these already. I've mentioned some of them before, um, but I thought it's always good to have a look at what, which ones I'm listening and enjoying at the moment. So let's get started. Jo very kindly contacted me and she was asking about book clubs or online um, books at a communication site. She's looking for somewhere where she can interact with people, ideally a book club. And what would I recommend? Um, and also she said she would love it if I hosted one. Well, those probably weren't her words. I've taken that and big myself up a lot. But she was saying, uh, would I would I run one? And I think that's a brilliant idea, Joe. I'd love to if there's the demand for it. So if anybody's interested in some form of online book club, who knows what form it would take, um, whether it's puppets on Zoom or something a bit more ordinary, I don't know. But please let me know if there's the demand for it, then then why not? It could be a lot of fun. Um, but in the meantime, the other book clubs that might be worth looking at is um, Claire McIntosh, the author, has a, a book club um, group on Facebook. So that could be worth looking at. Um, you will have heard me at times, very embarrassingly, do an unboxing of the Book Box Club. 
Um, and with every box you get each month, there's an invitation to go online to what they call the clubhouse each month uh, to set time, set day. And you get to interact with the author and everyone and talk about the book and what you thought. So that could be another one. Um, one I'm a member of is um, I don't know if you come across someone called Lauren. Uh, she's from Lauren and the Books on YouTube. I think she's great. She's such a, a positive person. Always feel better, feel happier when when I've watched one of her videos and she has a Patreon club that you can sort of duck in and out of. So you don't have to commit yourselves um, to lots of money over long periods of time. Um, and so often people just join for the Christmas one and to get a feel for how it works and, and then chop and change after that. But I really like Lauren and the Books um, book club. Uh, we vote. We have a vote between two books about six weeks before we discuss the book. So you've got plenty of time to find the book, whether in your local bookshop or in charity shops or at the library. You've got the time to find it. Um, they're normally good reads or interesting reads. They're, they're not always books that I would automatically put up, pick, blah, blah, pick up, um, but they are books most of them that I'm glad that I've read. Uh, and I love the chit chat. She actually hosts the book club on the last Sunday in the month on YouTube. There's a special link so only Patreon subscribers can get to it. And um, she interacts really nicely with everyone. And it's a lovely, kind feeling between everyone, good community. And it's something I look forward to. So that's a great sign, I, I guess. Um, the other alternative, Joe, is Come on, let you form your own book club as well. Certainly the two face-to-face -face book clubs that I'm normally a member of, we've taken that online at the moment, Zoom meetings, and it's not the same as sitting down with, whether it's slices of cake and cups of tea or uh, glasses of Prosecco and gin and tonics, whatever your bag, um, it's not the same as sitting there together. But it's a start and it's something and it, keeps the communication going and and it's it's lovely um and it could be something to start now so that when all this crazy times are over and you can go and meet people you've already got that connection um of course then having only met on zoom you might then meet face to face and be like oh, no actually can we just meet back on zoom i don't know but um it's worth a go and if you want any tips on running your own book club just let me know happily happily help with that so that's the brilliant question from Joe about book clubs. And I repeat, if anyone's interested in me doing a book club uh, online, please let me know and, uh, and we'll have a look at it. Brilliant. So let's come on to podcasts. And I'm going to reveal three podcasts today that um, probably demonstrate the wide range of, uh, of my podcast interest. So the first one I have mentioned before is called Lockdown Parenting Hell. It's presented by Rob Beckett and Josh Widcombe. Um, it's not one to listen to with the children in the car, but it's one. It's the first one I will listen to usually when it when it's out on a late on a Monday, I think it is, or a Tuesday and on a Friday. Um, you once a week, they will interview somebody well known, uh, normally a comedian, about how they are getting on with their children in lockdown. And it's just funny. And then the other time they're sort of interacting with messages that have been sent from from listeners. Uh, it, it makes me laugh. And um, it's a it's a good escape. And if there's a particular comedian that you follow, then you can go and look back and find that comedian. Listen to that one, first of all, 
to see what you think. But um, my husband is fed up of me saying, oh, uh, Josh Whitcomb said this really funny thing today. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, I think he's just fed up of me talking about that podcast altogether. But it's a good sign of it. Another one that I may not have mentioned before, uh, but it does relate to one of the books I'm talking about today. So, yeah, we, we're going to go there. We're going to go to the world of the archers. Um, anyone that knows me well knows that I love the archers. I have listened to it for many, many decades. Um, that makes me sound like I am about 300 years old. OK, I've listened to it for several decades from when I was a child. And my parents would have it on to, um, oh, gosh, early 20s. Uh, and from then on, um, pretty religiously, it's for me, it's a huge escape. It's um, on Radio 4. Uh, I believe you can get it wherever you are in the world. I know it's certainly got a lot of listeners in the US and Canada and all different areas. Um, it used to be six episodes a week, I believe. It's currently four because of COVID and all, all of that. Um, it's about 13 minutes long and it's um, it's a sort of a docudrama based in a countryside county in England. Um, it was originally brought out um, to help educate um, and pass on messages for farmers um, and all, all different things. And, and it has survived. I believe it's the world's longest running drama. Could be wrong, but that's that's what I believe it is. Um, so it's pretty big stuff. And it's got a lot of loyal, aunt, uh, a lot of loyal listeners. And these listeners all need somewhere to go. And where they go is a place called Dum de Dum, which is something to do with the tune. If you listen to it, you'll, you'll understand. Now, Dum de Dum is a podcast for the fans of the Archers. It comes out once a week, usually, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and you know, discussing what hap what's happened in the last week. People can call in and say what they think's going to happen. It's just a it's just a happy place with a lot of nice people. And uh, there've also been some great Zoom episodes as well during lockdown, which have um, really helped to you know give you something to look forward to so that's dum de dum um now so if lockdown parenting hell and dum de dum don't sound your thing but you like books then you, have you heard of something called writer's routine um for me i enjoy a lot of the episodes i will look for those that have an author that either i know well or i want to find out more um about just probably because i've got so many different podcasts and audiobooks and everything to listen to um, but it's just about the routine of of the writer it's not them doing a sales pitch for their book yes they, they would talk about it but it that's not the purpose really and um, the purpose is to to talk about the author and where they like to write how they go about it all sorts of really interesting things and um, it's very well placed as well by the interviewer so that's called Writer's Routine. So those are my three podcast recommendations. And now I need to tell you what books we're reviewing this week. And we've got the best, most brilliant author interview. Can't wait for this. So let's go through the books. The books are Remember Me by Amy McClellan, What Lies Between Us by John Mars, On Borrowed Time by Adam Croft, The Archers, Ambridge at War, by Catherine Miller and Platform 7 by Louise Doughty. And I have to say, this does need a drum roll, really. We've got John Mars on this episode. 
this is very exciting. He's such an accomplished author, written so many great books. Um, the One, um, Passengers, oh gosh, all sorts. And, and What Lies Between Us came out earlier this year. Uh, but embarrassingly, I've only just got round to it. Um, in fact, I got the book and Amy McClellan's book through something the, called the Capital Crime Book Club. Um, and actually, Joe, from your question earlier on, it might be something that would be of use. OK, so for this, if you pay for a year up front, I, th I believe the cost is £10 a month. Um, and for that, you so far, it's only been going a couple of months. We've had two books in each one and and a bit of something. So the first month we had uh, Richard Osman. Um, and a Mark Edwards book and a Mark Edwards pen. Very exciting. This time we've had John Mars, What Lies Between Us and Amy McClellan's Remember Me and a very nice bookmark. And I think for £10, actually, that's pretty good value. So if you're not so interested in the bits and bobs that go with a book, a book box, uh, like the smelly candles and so forth, then the Capital Crime Book Club, Capital Crime, not Grime, Crime Book Club could be interesting. And then the authors do record a video that you can go and watch as well. So there's uh, some some different elements to that. Anyway, waffling as always. John Mars is coming on and I was very excited to be able to talk to him because I really admire his writing. It's always um, it's always just, you know, edge of your seat stuff. So let's talk about John's book and let's speak to John. See, background noise. Sorry for that. But let's get the book out. You can hear. You can hear I've got the book. So. What's it all about? What lies between us? Nina can never forgive Maggie for what she did and she can never let her leave. They say every house has its secrets and the house that Maggie and Nina have shared for so long is no different, except that these secrets are not buried in the past. Every other night, Maggie and Nina have dinner together. When they are finished, Nina helps Maggie back to her room in the attic and into the heavy chain that keeps her there because Maggie has done things to Nina that can't ever be forgiven. And now she is paying the price. But there are many things about the past that Nina doesn't know, and Maggie is going to keep it that way, even if it kills her. Because in this house, the truth is more dangerous than lies. What do you think about that? I mean, first of all, it's a book by John Mars, so that's a win. Had to read it. Then the blurb just made me think... Uh, OK, I've got to read it. Um, and I was just so intrigued how these two characters could have such a relationship where they would eat a meal. That's a very personal, close thing to do. Eat a meal together every night and then one of them be locked away. And what what would lead you to to do that? And how would that and how would that be? And the relationship because it's between two women as well. Um uh, I thought it was an extraordinary book. It kept me going. There were th over 360 pages. It didn't matter to me at all. I just had to know what on earth was going on. Um, I would give it 10 out of 10. I thought it's it was crazy it, it's, um, because it's such a different story, but it's set in such a very close environment. Um, and it's one of those where you just want to keep reading the pages. You just like, right, no, no, life is not happening until I know what happened in this book. So everyone else just put everything on hold while I find out. And then we can press the play button again and get back to normal life. So if you've got a lot going on, actually, whatever's happening, read this book. I thought it was really good. Um, it, it, it was different and yet it's similar because it's this sort of very closed in situation of two people in the house. Um, it's not like they're in an igloo or something that 
that uh, would be a little bit different. So it's it's quite um, an average setting, but a completely, completely radical story. Um, and it's just how it makes you feel. And you think, oh, gosh, that's that's terrible. That person's gone through it. And then you think, oh, hang on. And it it, it does make you think as you're reading it. Um, so I thought that was really good. And when I was reading it, I just thought, mm, I know what I want to do. I want to interview John and talk to him about this book. So let's do that now. So, John, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I just love love this book. The minute I had finished reading this book, as well as just feeling all very unnerved, really, I had to get in contact with you and say, please, can I talk to you? Because it was, yes, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Where, where did you get the idea for it? Well, I just wanted to write a really happy, cheery little family, <laughs> family drama where everyone looks happily ever after, because I've not done one of those before. Right. And uh, the idea came, I was actually, I think it was, I never always remember where books it was inspired to write something, but I think this one came from, um, I can never pronounce it, Eleanor Oliphant. And I yes. really enjoyed that book. So yes. different from what I'd kind of books I'd normally read. And I really enjoyed the relationship between her and her mum. And I, I wanted to write something more claustrophobic about um, about two family members. And, um, and so, yeah, I kind of went in that direction. I went for mother mm. and daughter, but um, with a really kind of twisted horrible claustrophobic kind of relationship and I kind of wanted the reader to just to kind of switch from which side they were going to go on depending on which chapter they were reading I can, yeah, I can yeah. ask you I mean were you without me giving away any spoilers but whose side were you on oh any? yeah I, I chopped and changed all the time I was outraged and completely on Nina's side and then Maggie's and then Nina. yes I, I don't want to give anything away as you say but you Yes, I was incensed for each of them at, at at different times, and and I can see what you mean about coming on the back of Eleanor Oliphant and just sort of continuing that in a different vein. But yeah. um, but did the situation come first, or the characters then? Which which was the sort of first picture in your mind? It's um, I can't exactly even remember how it came, but I all I knew that I wanted to write something within the first five chapters. There was going to be a family member chained up in the loft, and I kind of wanted you. Obviously, I want to spoil that for anybody. Who no, it. no. I wanted to. I think it's quite obvious because it's. I think it says on the back of the cover. But I wanted the reader to like just how just read those first five chapters and think something, and then all of a sudden you've got this. It goes in a completely different direction, and you're left wondering, okay, well, what what's happening now? And just have just to be quite unpredictable and, and mm. not to really know where it's going. And the ending again. We don't want to talk about that, but but wow! I mean, d did you always have that ending in mind, or did it change as you were writing the book? It changed very, very much when I'm very, very mm. close to the ending. Really? There was a completely different ending, which I'll tell you off air. But um, thank you. Keeping <laughs> dark, but um, but yeah, I decided that that wasn't. It, I don't think it gave people give people enough closure. I think it was. I, I'm all for an open ended ending. And I've done that a few times in my books before. And some people, you know, they, they're all for that because they know that not everything is wrapped up neatly in little packages in every book. And other people, it can frustrate them sometimes if they want a beginning, a middle and an end. But mm. with this one, I feel like there is, you know, there is a definite ending to it. And the original ending I've written, there wasn't. 
Well, if I hadn't been holding the book while I was reading it, I would have been holding my face just in sort of <laughs> oh, horror and uh, just uh, all sorts of emotions uh, about it. But, you know, you're such a, an accomplished writer. Do you think you could have written this as your first book or has each book been a progression? Oh, good question. Um, I still don't think I'm particularly accomplished. There's like lots and lots of books that I read by other writers. And I think, dang, you are much better than me. Um, I'll never be this good. Um, uh, no, you know what? I don't think I could have written this book a few years ago. I think I needed to go through my other books to get mm. to where, to get to this stage. I think. Mm. And my first, that, my first book, when you disappeared, was um, quite. It was a lot lengthier. I think the chapters were. It was still. It was like still told from two different perspectives, but it was lengthier and um, it was more of a slow burner. And this one, I think, has elements of a slow burner, but I think the pace is quicker. Uh, yes, and I was—I wanted to talk to you about the pace because it, it's almost as if you've enjoyed writing a book that the reader is not allowed to put down because <laughs> you can't. You just—you need to know what happens. It's such an unusual situation, and you, you need to find out what happens. Was that presumably that was yeah, deliberate? That's quite deliberate. Yeah, yeah it was. like with my book, the one. That was the first book that I wrote deliberately with lots of clean cliffhangers on each, pretty much the end of each chapter. So there were five characters and each character rotated. Um, and so to get people interested and to want to know what happened to that when you've got another four characters to go before you return to that one, I kind of figured kind of cliffhangers would be the way to go. And I've never done that before. So that's like one of my kind of uh, slightly futuristic novels, the mm. one. But yeah. whereas I've never really done that in one of my straightforward psychological thrillers, but that's what I wanted to do with um, with What Lies Between Us. And this one's a very visual one. I I, I certainly prefer it when I can see it immediately in, in my mind. Oh, cool. Would that transpire, do you think, onto the, onto the screen as well? Well, it has been picked up by... Yeah, by Rene Zellweger's production company. Oh, gosh. They've taken out an option on it. Um, so they are in the process of developing it and seeing whether they can turn it into something. So that would be really exciting if they could. Um, I, I used to work as a journalist, and most of my stuff over the last 10 years was involved going along a lot of TV and film sets to interview celebrities and to watch the making of various programmes um, and then write about them. Um, and I think that possibly helped because I had to watch a lot of television for that job. It doesn't really sound like a job, does it? You sit around watching telly all day. Oh, no, very hard, very hard. <laughs> I actually got paid to spend an entire week just sitting watching the whole of Breaking Bad from season <sighs> like one to six or whatever like it was. Um, yeah, so, and yeah, so I think I try and write as I would picture it watching it on TV. And... Do you get your ideas generally? I mean, you mentioned Eleanor Oliphant, you mentioned your journalism career. How do you get those ideas? And do we see uh, with a notepad as you go along? They all absolutely vary. Like my, the Good Samaritan came from a friend who used to work for a call centre. <laughs> when he disappeared, was inspired by um, a story that I read in the Guardian newspaper. The one came to me while I was planning my wedding. Um, the next book that I'm going to write next year is basically, uh, came to me, the first half of it came to me in a dream. And I literally grabbed the phone when I woke up and typed it in or sort of sat whispering and wow. dictating it in. Um, I've done it before. It's happened to me on a couple of occasions. And then I've read it the next morning and thought, this is rubbish <laughs> <laughs> in the cold light of day. But this one I've stuck with and it, it kind of it, hopefully it works. And with your career, at what point did you consider yourself to be a writer? Hmm. Well, I think I didn't give up the journalism till 
almost three years ago so I was doing the two jobs at the same time so I was writing books while on the train to London each day so I had like about three hours round trip and that's where my first I think four four and a half five books were written I didn't have the confidence to give that up give the journalism up to just go into um, go into writing full-time so I think yeah it took it was about yeah about two and a half three years ago that I finally gave up journalism I think that was the final time I interviewed someone from the only way is Essex or oh. Geordie Shaw or something like that and that was a good day when that happened yes full stop the end <laughs> walk away what's the favorite part of the writing process oh that's a good question I don't sometimes I don't know whether there is I think it's only when you look upon it um with I tend to look back on with rose tinted glasses and thought, oh that was something to write but at the time oh my god this is the worst thing I've ever done um I think possibly the the first draft for me is always about just getting it down there just banging it out just just getting something on a screen then the second draft takes the longest amount of time where you're just completely rewriting stuff and I, so I think I go for the third draft you know, by the time you get to like the seventh draft after your editor's been through it and a copy editor and all that kind of stuff, I never really want to read it again. Um, and I, the last time I'll ever have anything to do with the book is when I uh, hear the audio book when that comes out. And I hear that when everybody else hears it as well. Then oh. I, won't really, I won't really go back to that book again. Oh, fantastic. And do you write in the same place each time now? Well, well the first few books are so written on trains. Now, yeah. I've, got my, I've got my office. But then sometimes I'll try and go to the gym first thing in the morning um, and they've got a restaurant there. So after I go to the gym, I'll just sit in there and undo all the good work by eating two breakfasts <laughs> and take my laptop and just and just get started. I think there's a lot of people can who, who want to write a book can procrastinate too much and try and get the ambience of an area mm. right. There's none. There's no need for any of that. If you've got an idea, just get writing. As long as you've got a laptop or a, a pad and pen, there's nothing stopping you. Don't you think being having been a journalist though that that helps that mentality of just I've got a deadline it's got to be yeah. written wherever I am yeah yeah absolutely yeah I mean my entire life my entire career has been spent writing to deadline mm-hmm. so I know that I've got to get so many amount of words done by this amount of time and so I'm quite um, I'm quite ruthless about that but then also the journalism side of things um, you get used to criticism and you get loose used to Having edits, copy editors change your work, um, come up with different suggestions, different angles you could write it from, and you get that in books as well. And so I think I learned to be quite thick-skinned doing it that way. Well, I don't think you need to be because What Lies Between Us, I think, is just a phenomenal book and uh, they want more people to be to be reading it. What Just finally, what what's happening now? You've got a, another book out as well. Yeah, I've got The Minders came out um, a couple of months ago, which is, which is doing okay. Um, and um, yeah, I'm in the middle of kind of taking a year off. So um, my book, next book doesn't be, need to be delivered until just over a year from now. So I'll probably start on that at some point next year. So I'm just kind of enjoying life, really. It's been, it's nice not having to work to a, to a really strict deadline as I have done. I feel I've just had to get one book out of the way, then I'm working on the next one and so on and so on. So it's been nice just to take it, like take a little bit of time, just a bit of me time. Oh, wonderful. Well, John, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. No, not at all. Thank you very much. Oh, that was fabulous. I really enjoyed talking to John. Um, nice guy. Great author. So let's move on. And I'm going to talk to you about the book Remember Me by Amy McClellan because it came in the same box as uh, John Mars's um, from the Capital Crime Book Club. So the, the blurb is quite simple. 
Last night, my sister was murdered. The police think I killed her. I was there. I watched the knife go in. I saw the man who did it. He's someone I know, but he won't be caught because he knows I have. Now I've got to pronounce this properly. Prosopagnosia. I can't recognise faces. But if I don't find him, I'll be found guilty of murder. So you've got this situation where sister's been murdered in front of the other sister. The sister who survives has this condition where she cannot recognise faces. So she knows who murdered her sister, but she doesn't she doesn't know. She can't bring the face to mind. She can't equate that face to who who it was. Um, and it's a really intriguing book. I did enjoy it. Um, I, I, Yeah, I would really recommend it if you're looking for something a little bit different. Um, I was hooked on it. And I, as I say, I just was intrigued by this different concept. I hadn't really considered. Uh, I'd heard about the condition before, but I hadn't considered the impact if you had witnessed a murder and yet not know who it was. And can you imagine you wouldn't be able to trust anybody. You wouldn't know who was the murderer. And when you're being held accountable for it, um, you know, then you start to question yourself. And it's another one of these quite sort of closed in a bit like John Mars's book, but very different, um, but still closed in about close relationships and you know what what is really going on in this book and what what resolution will will the end give um there were a couple of points in the resolution where i thought oh yes i kind of thought that that could happen and then there were a couple of points where it was hand over my mouth and like oh my goodness uh, never expected that so that was that's a good i think that's always a sign of a good book um the next book is something different so for those archers fans this is called uh, Ambridge at War by Catherine Miller. So we've talked about the archers already and about the Dum De Dum podcast. And this book is was written very closely with uh, BBC Radio 4, who, who produced the archers. So, you know, it's authentic. And that's what I like. And it's set during the Second World War. Um, so characters that very loyal listeners might know, like Walter Gabriel, um, they're in this book and we first get to meet Peggy and find out how she came to the village and, and what happened. And for that, it, it's glorious. Look, if you've got no connection with the archers and if more easy reading books aren't your thing, then this probably isn't for you. Um, but equally, if you like the archers and if you're a real fan and particularly if you're a, a more traditional listener, and um, if you like certain books, um, more sort of easy reading books, um, often set sort of in, in the countryside, those sort of things, then I think you would really enjoy this. Uh, there's um, a poison pen writer. Uh, there's some uh, there's some naughty stuff going on. Um, you get to hear about the pargeters. Uh, oh, just all sorts. It, it's, it was just lovely. And it's done beautifully as well. Let me read you the blurb. Welcome to Ambridge, the most ordinary village in the most extraordinary of times. It's 1940 and war has broken out. It is midnight at the turn of the year and Walter Gabriel speaks the same line that opened the very first radio episode. And a happy new year to you all. Now, can I just say that's not his accent. His accent is completely different, but it's not for me to try and even attempt that accent. Anyway, let me carry on. For Ambridge, a village in the heart of the English countryside, this year will bring change in ways no one was expecting. 
From the Pargeters at Lower Loxley to the loving, hard-working Archer family at Brookfield Farm, the war will be hard for all of them. And the new year brings the arrival of evacuees to Ambridge, shaking things up in the close-knit rural community. As the villagers embrace wartime spirit, the families that listeners have known and loved for generations face an uphill battle to keep their secrets hidden, especially as someone is intent on revealing those secrets to the whole village. Da, da, da. Um, so as I say, it was really fully authorised by uh, BBC Radio 4 and you and you know that. Um, what I am interested in is I haven't heard of the author before. Done a bit of research, couldn't find anything about Catherine Miller. It seems it's a pseudonym. So I would just like to know <laughs> what who this person is because apparently she's written quite a few other books. She or he has written quite a few other books. So yeah, I think it's Stephen King. What what do you think? Um, but it's fair to say that I did really enjoy this book. It was a lovely escape. It was um, warm and welcoming into the world of the Archers and Ambridge. It was really interesting to see these characters emerge. And uh, yeah, it's fair to say that my mother is, I'm surprised she isn't here trying to pull the book away as I do this podcast because she really wants to read it. So, you know, I know I talked about Christmas was it just the last episode but it's coming to the time when Christmas lists need to be provided and if you've got an Archers fan in the family this could score you some brownie points um, if all you read are books that are sort of um, very modern non-fiction or fiction where there's serial killers then you know it might not be your cup of tea but then we all need a change and as I say if you like the archers then you might really like this and I believe there's going to be more so that'd be really interesting to see how it progresses um, so that's the archers um, published 29th of October and uh, in hardback at the moment lovely lovely read lovely cover uh, lovely oh I, in fact I haven't, I haven't taken the cover off to see what lies underneath Oh, it's just a quite a plain blue cover. I never know. Sometimes there's a little secret something inside. There isn't a secret something. Well, if there is, it's so secret that I haven't seen it. Right, so let's get on to the next book. And this is called On Borrowed Time by Adam Croft. Now, about a month ago, you'll have heard me review a book called What Lies Beneath by Adam Croft. And that was the first in his new Rutland crime series. Um, and this one, On Borrowed Time, is the second one. It was out quite soon after the third one, first one, which is quite helpful, actually, because I'm reading a lot of different series and you can sometimes, well, certainly I can, sometimes lose track of uh, different characters. So it was great to have this second one just to sort of bed in um, the knowledge. And it's certainly a great um, set of crime solvers, the, the police characters I do really like. Um, and I thought this one was, was really good, actually. I enjoyed it. So let, let's read the blurb. Each morning, the first train of the day leaves Oakham Station and thunders through a tunnel under the village of Manton. But today the driver sees something that changes his life. A dead body hangs in the tunnel's exit. D.I. Caroline Hills knows this isn't suicide, it's murder, and when a second apparent suicide appears in Rutland, Caroline uncovers a shocking link. The victims knew each other. As Rutland police fight to catch the killer, a group of friends is left with an even more shocking realisation. One of them is the murderer, and one of them will be the next to die. What do you think about that? It certainly had me wanting to get started and read the book. Um, how long is it? It was about 300 pages. Yes, 292 pages. Um, 
or 290 pages yes there's quite a few notes at the back sorry about that gosh I am waffling now the coffee is wearing off um I thought it was a good book I thought it was a great second one sometimes seconds in the series aren't quite as good I actually thought this was better if it if it could be than what lies beneath um I enjoyed it I enjoyed the resolution um it's a sort of a simple series if you don't want anything too technical um I started thinking well, it's a combination between gritty and easy. So does that mean it's greasy? No, that's just the wrong idea, isn't it? It's not greasy at all. Dear, oh dear. But anyway, it's um, it's a good crime series. If you want to get started on something uh, that's a little bit different, I haven't read other crime books about Rutland. Um, and uh, the third one is due out early next year, I believe. So on borrowed time, Adam Croft, that's second in the series. If you haven't read the first one, and then I'd suggest What Lies Beneath might be a better starting point. But actually, you can read on borrowed time perfectly easily uh, as the first book that, that you come across. Don't feel obliged if, if you don't want. So there we go. Very, very good. Now, the next book, and this is where I draw a breath. Let me put this one down. This one I listened to as an, as an audio book. And I, I've i been thinking about buying this book for some time. And I think it was on like deal of the day, which is why I went for it. Um, let, let me read you the blurb first of all. Platform 7 at 4 a.m. Peterborough Railway Station is deserted. The man crossing the covered walkway on this freezing November morning is confident he's alone. As he sits on the metal bench at the far end of the platform, it is clear his choice is strategic. He's as far away from the night staff as he can get. What the man doesn't realise is that he has company. Lisa Evans knows what he has decided. She knows what he is about to do as she tries and fails to stop him walking to the platform edge. Two deaths on platform seven, two fatalities in 18 months. Surely they're connected. No one is more desperate to understand what connects them than Lisa Evans herself. After all, she was the first of the two to die. Um, there were parts of this that I really enjoyed, if you can say that, for a book that is obviously about a very difficult subject. I thought it was different and fresh. I like the concept of um, th this person who had died being at the train station and witnessing somebody else consider what what they might do um, and the implications I thought that was great um, what made me uncomfortable was some of the background of why this character Lisa was dead um, and what had happened it's it, I think it's just different things you know for all of us there are some things we can read and some things we can't um, and I don't want to give anything away, um, but I just I just found it very difficult to to hear. Maybe when you're reading a book that's like that, it's easier because you can just go through it quite quickly. That the section that makes you feel uncomfortable, and then you can get back into the rhythm of of the book um, and all that's involved. So I would be very interested to know if you've read this book and what you thought. I, I thought the concept was really good, as I say, and really fresh and different. And it's not the author's fault that it's a subject that I just found um, very hard to listen to. And I did have to speed that section up quite a bit uh, to, to get through to the rest of the book. 
But having said that, it was a book that I couldn't stop listening to. I wanted to know how it was going to be resolved, what would happen. Um, and uh, and I'm glad I did. It was very interesting how everything ended um, and the sort of the different threads that the story involved. So, yeah, I if you if if things don't phase you and um, if you're looking for something a little bit different, then I think I think you would like that. She's she's Louise Doughty is very good at keenly observing characters um, and, you know, people placed in a difficult position. What then happens? And it's I think I'd certainly next time I'm on a train. Heaven knows when I will next be on a train because I will have about 12 face masks on, I think, if I have to go on a train. Um, but the next time I'm on a train, I will notice more about the dynamics of a station, the different people. I think I will notice more. So it does make you think. So I thought it was a good book. It just, as I say, for me personally, one area, just, oh, you know, like someone scraping on a blackboard when, when some some things that people go through just uh, just don't sit easily with you. But that's me. It's not you. Read the book and tell me what you think. So there we go. Let's just do a little bit of a recount, shall we? So we can't forget the lovely John Mars. We uh, spoke to John and I talked about his book, What Lies Between Us. Um, we had Remember Me by Amy McClellan. We've had The Archers, Ambridge at War by Catherine Miller. On Borrowed Time by Adam Croft. And Platform 7 by Louise Doughty. Now, don't say I don't give you a range. We've had podcast recommendations. We've talked about online book clubs. I think the only thing that's left is for me to say, look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.